Welcome to Trinity Radio with Dr. Braxton Hunter and Professor Jonathan Pritchett. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today we're asking the question, what's up with self-guided theological education? If you or someone you love has been suffering from why they're a... Please contact the law offices of Rodin, Yang, and Geiler. This is the first word. Religious experience and kangaroos. Hundreds of millions of people throughout the history of the world have claimed to have had experiences or an obvious encounter with God, whether in terms of a vision, prayerful communication, or actual sensory contact. Many humans seem to be absolutely convinced that God has connected with them in a real way. How can this best be explained? One might posit it's just wish fulfillment, delusion, the power of suggestion, or a misinterpretation on the believer's part. But these would seem to be a stretch. The simplest and most obvious explanation is that many people have indeed had experiences of God. This is not really a robust argument, but that makes it perfect as a piece of evidence for a conversational approach to evangelism. If 99 people in a village claim to have met a particular man, we'll call him Person Q, and only one individual, perhaps Person S, claims that person Q does not exist, which is the more likely to be true? Should we believe that 99 villagers are wrong about the existence of person Q? Or is it more reasonable to assume that person S is just mistaken? Person S might demand that person Q does not exist because he has never seen him, heard his voice, or met him at all. However, no thinking person would accept that person S is correct about person Q on the basis of this evidence. If 99 people claimed to have met Person Q and could tell powerful stories of experiences they had with him, then it stands to reason that Person S is merely overly skeptical. Furthermore, of all the multitudes of people throughout human history who believed they had experiences of God, if only one of them was correct, then he does exist. The same can be said of those who feel they have had personal experience with Jesus. Conversely, it is not true that if only one of them is wrong, then God does not exist. Recently, I visited Australia and was pretty excited to get to see a real live kangaroo in the wild. When I arrived, I was told that everyone in Australia sees kangaroos fairly regularly. They're everywhere. In fact, many of the cars have a rail around the front bumper just so that if they hit a kangaroo on the road, it won't damage the vehicle. But for all their claims that if I just looked hard enough, I would see a kangaroo. I never saw one the entire two weeks I was there, despite being out in the bush. The only kangaroos I saw were on people's t-shirts as they bragged about their faith in the kangaroo and on their government buildings as kangaroo belief has apparently impacted even the government. So much for separation of kangaroo and state. 
And after all, the kangaroo looks like a mythological creature, with its long tail and even a pouch to carry its young. Come on, am I really supposed to believe in all that? Well, yes. Even though I've never seen a kangaroo, and even though the animal does look like some weird fictional Narnia reject, kangaroos exist. My having never experienced one speaks not to their existence. In the same way, just because many atheists claim never to have experienced God, even though they say they've looked for Him, this speaks not to His existence. The vast majority of human beings say they have. Now, to be sure, there are criticisms that can be leveled against this explanation. On the surface, this strikes hearers as an example of the ad populum fallacy. That is to say, it sounds like the claim that something is true because many people adhere to it. It, like the other evidences in a conversational evangelistic approach, is just one piece of data that seems to lend favor to the belief in God. There may be reasonable objections to this explanation of religious experience, but for the advocate of this approach, however, it represents one more item that will help tip the scales in favor of the Christian worldview. And now, today's topic. So it's here's, not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I, I was... not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. So today we're talking about a phenomenon that has been growing over the past 10 years, 15 years, something like that. Um, people were educating themselves theologically prior to that time. However, uh, because of the ubiquitous theological videos on the internet uh, and podcasts, people like myself, like Dr. Pritchett and like many others, decided, hey... I'm really interested in philosophy, apologetics, theology, biblical studies. I can learn all about it for free without paying any seminary a dime just on the internet. And after all, I don't have to do any of these pesky things. Well, you like just mentioned a bunch of people with degrees who did go to seminary. I know. We're going to get there. But uh, I don't have to be bothered to, to read these pesky commentaries and uh, you know books on subjects that I don't care anything about, like evangelism. I can just study the stuff I want to study. This was never a person like me. So I can just study. Uh, you know, I if had I, the great books of the Western world done. If I want to just, 20s. if I want to just study soteriology for for you know five months and nothing else, I can do that. You can go it, watch Leighton Flowers on Soteriology One One, where you'll be. <laughs> Learning all sorts of things about Calvinism and well, traditionalism and provisionalism, and you can uh, shop for a gift for your spouse at James Avery Jewelry. But this is this is an example. <laughs> nobody <laughs> did. Nobody. No, Leighton Flowers didn't do that. 
Leighton Flowers didn't just study soteriology, but there are people who only listen to Leighton Flowers because all they care about is soteriology. Right, but and if they actually knew Leighton Flowers, they'd know that he was also a professor here at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary and teaches things about other stuff than soteriology. So what we're talking about... Is if you would like to learn from Leighton Flowers, you can go to www.trinitysim.edu and sign up for courses with Leighton Flowers on all sorts of things. So what we're dealing with today are people who have decided just to learn theology in an unguided way on their own, just studying whatever they'd like to study, instead of um, you know coming to a Bible college or seminary and getting some self-guided... Or the same happens with philosophy, same happens with... Historical studies. And I think this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I am so glad that people are becoming more and more theologically interested in a time where we have a problem of biblical and theological ignorance and illiteracy. This is great, unless you're going to be in ministry. And the thing about it is, you may think that because we're people who are employed by a Bible college and seminary, that we would be just against this. In fact, I think that Dr. Pritchett and I both have done a fair amount of this on our own. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that there are positives, but there are also some negatives, or there can be some negatives. Right. And in fact, I would say that if you have not experienced the negatives, you are in a very small minority of people. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And so I'll, I'll start out by being the nice guy and giving you some of the positives that I think do emerge from self-study. Uh, even if you never yes, go to and a like Bible me, you should read the entire great books of the Western world. Well, but see, the fact that you're telling them they need to do that is giving them structure. We're taking people just, what do you want to do? And No, Mortimer Adler and Richard Hutchins gave them, I mean, Robert Hutchins yeah. gave them structure by putting together the set. Yeah. Who are those people? Say They're, them again. Huh? Oh, Name them. Hutchins and Adler, they, the Cyclopedia Britannica came up with this... Um, Set called the, the Great Books great of the books Western, Western World. World. Basically, the Western canon from Homer. Uh, the first edition went from Homer to Freud, and then uh, they expanded it in 1993, I think, to, from 54 volumes to 60 volumes. That is some 20th century stuff. Okay, that's enough about that. Nobody cares. So the point is... Well, I care. <laughs> the, the people Because my uncle sold these things, and my dad, wanting see, to help his you're making... wife's brother out, bought a set, and I read them. Right. Before you engaged in... Secondary theological education. Yeah, but I also so, read Star Wars books. But okay, but, the, but <laughs> so, this is this is exactly the point. Yeah. You're mocking up the kind of person that I'm right. talking about. A person who um, who just says, "I'm just going to study what I want to study," and if it's Star Wars, then it's Star Wars. If it's uh, apologetics, it's apologetics, and they just go off studying that. And even within that subcategory or that field, there will be a subcategory like within apologetics. I went off for a, you know, a few months just studying the problem of evil. I found it fascinating. So people do this. Now, here's the positive that I see. Number one is it creates independent thinkers. Now, that can be a negative, too, and we'll talk about that later. But it creates independent thinkers who are, who are free. They're not bound by some uh, guideline that they have to uh, follow, except if they're a Christian, the Orthodox Christian faith. But they are following... Uh, their their own you know interests and and getting and and because of that they can know a subject really really deeply and what it has resulted in I'm a Christian apologist so thinking from that perspective it has resulted in people like our good friend and now Trinity student Eric Hernandez mm-hmm. who has debated you know some very influential skeptics out there 
mm-hmm. and done a darn good job. Yeah. Because now what those skeptics have to deal with is not just the William Lane Craigs of the world or the Mike Lyconas or Gary Habermas or Norman Geisler. What they have to deal with are people who have studied really weird things to a great depth so that you end up with a guy like Eric Hernandez debating the soul and saying things that the skeptic wasn't prepared for because the skeptic was only prepared for the standard stuff that you get but, in seminary. Yes, right? and, but he did start off that way, but like you just said. Well, we're, yeah, we're going to get there, but we're talking about the positives. So you yes, do and get, where did Eric Hernandez go? Which seminary did he yeah, go to? He went yeah. to the, the, <laughs> yeah, buddy. The right one, that's the, the right one. Exactly. But he, which Let's is Trinity, get that straight. Which is Trinity College of the Bible and Theology. Absolutely. Trinitysim.edu. But the thing about but, it is... While uh, other... I mean... He, he could have wrote his own... T- I mean, he's already debated Matt Dillahunty, for example, mm-hmm. and he's debated mm-hmm. other Christian apologists. Dogma debate. Could have, Yeah, could have gone to anywhere, but... He came to I, us. I, look, I beam with pride over Eric. I, I do, too. Just beam with pride. I do, too. And so the thing about it is, you... Skeptics, <laughs> to, skeptics today are having to deal with a kind of person, mm-hmm. and a lot of them, who have basically said to theological education, uh, yeah, I maybe one day, but right now I'm just going to do it. And it has developed new new approaches, yeah. and, and that's been a good thing. So, so there are a lot of good positives to this. Yeah. Over, if you are a layperson and you are always going to remain a layperson, I'm overwhelmingly positive about self-guided. So follow yeah. your interests. Yeah, sure. But even there... I would say you should do it still under the authority of a local church yeah, and bounce ideas with your church leaders so that you don't go crazy. But see, now this is where we're getting into it. So let's say I got a good pastor. I love my pastor. Mm -hmm. I love my pastor's staff. And for years, perhaps, I've, I've, I've taken what they said. I mean, I've tried to check it by the Bible, but I've, mm-hmm. I've pretty well taken what they've said is true. These are good guys. They love me. They've but then I good. discover Trinity but then Radio, I find, but then I find, <laughs> Soteriology 101. Yeah, I find, that, wait a minute, this guy's teaching some stuff I don't know if I agree with anymore. Yeah. Well, you've just told me, yeah, but put yourself under the authority of a local pastor or something. Did and you now, say, yeah, did you and my say pastor's a Calvinist, but Leighton Flowers said that these Calvinists are... Heathens, right? So he didn't. Leighton doesn't. Leighton, say <laughs> you might say something. Like that. He says so, a heretic. No, he so say that so. Either. What do you do then? And and I mean, I think we know the answer. Pastors can be wrong. We have an episode with Steve Gregg on the show where he uh, he <laughs> went pastors off about most that. likely are wrong. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not Steve's position. But the thing is. You, you, we, is we know the answer is no, because pastors can be wrong. You don't just no pastors shill for their corporation. <laughs> they shill for their denomination. Now we're not so. saying that. We're not saying that. I'm saying the reason why they work for that denomination is to shill for it. I love pastors, mm-hmm. and can I tell you something? I love pastors. I, too. I got news for you, and I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I'm going to say it right now. Pastors don't get paid enough, and if you invite me to your church, I'll preach that sermon to your congregation, so you don't have to. Pastors, I've worked with hundreds of pastors over the past 12 years. And can I tell you something? I've only met two who I don't think were godly men who believed with what they were pre- believed what they were preaching. They weren't preaching it because they were trying to shill for the corporation. They believed what they were preaching as best I can tell. Um, and you've only met two who who don't. Who who I, and it wasn't with them that I didn't think they believed what they were preaching. With them what it was was there were they were genuinely bad people. 
yeah. and, and doing Probably, sinful things. Yeah. But I'm not. But but that's only two out of hundreds. Right. So when I hear this cultural thing about, well, you can't trust pastors. Pastors are this and that. Mark me down. I think that's just bunk. Or maybe it's just that the kind of pastors that would have me come aren't that way. But I don't suspect that's what it is. Anyway, um, the, the back to the back to the could issue be because you the, should the, the good kind of pastor is also the same kind of pastor that would invite you to their church. You sh- it could be, but I, mm. I, I I don't think so. So, um, but you disagree with your pastor. You've you've discovered that you think maybe he's a Calvinist and you're not, or maybe you've well, let's not go there yet. So you, you've discovered that. So then what do you do? This is what I would do. It depends on what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're a person like me, who I don't agree with Calvinism, but my pastor is a man that I love named John Winters, and his church catechizes with the London Baptist Confession of 1689. I'm going to say, you know I don't agree with this. Do you want me to stay here and even preach in your pulpit from time to time like you asked me to, even though you know this? <laughs> I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. You know? You stay. Okay. If you're if he says no, that's... if you're the kind of guy like me and your pastor says absolutely not, if you're not gonna sign on board with our doctrinal statement of this local assembly and just it's if you're gonna speak your mind here, that's gonna cause divisions. You need to leave. You know what you need to do? Leave. Right. Or if you're the type and of as person as recently as yesterday. Or there's one more th- option. You're actually the problem, where your pastor would be particularly happy for you to stay there, but mm-hmm. you're mad because your pastor won't agree with you. Yeah, that happens too. So you need to leave and quit being a jerk. Right, and let re- your pastor be the jerk. As recently, or as, if you're going to be the jerk, leave. As recently as yesterday, I had a guy Marco Polo with me, mm-hmm. occasionally Marco Polo's with me, and said, "So I'm not a Calvinist, but my pastor is." And he doesn't know that I'm not a Calvinist. Um, what do I do? And I was like, well, tell him that you're a Calvinist. But the tone was kind of, but I, that's going to make it weird, and I don't know how he feels about that. And I was like, you know something? I appreciate what you're going through. But the thing about it is, if we're Why would that ha- make it weird? If we're going to have belief, he felt like in his Here's case, what makes it weird. Pastor, I'd like to date your daughter. That makes things weird between <laughs> you and your pastor. Say, pastor that's pretty good. Did you just come up with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or you know, I, I you know, so so that that makes things weird yeah. between you and your pastor. You want to take the d- pastor's daughter out. She just or, graduated or, college or whatever, and you want you want to you want to ask her out. If you're if if you differ with your pastor about something on theology, it doesn't make it weird. What makes That's, he's in the business of theology. What makes it weird talking for me about theology is his business. Is when people have come up to me and told me they have a personal prophecy from God for me. And I always listen, but that mm. makes it weird. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, uh, and especially if it's that I need to date their daughter. I don't ever have <laughs> prophecies from God about you. I just have predictions that we make behind your back on the, you know, uh, the Trinity Commission. Yeah. <laughs> I just discovered there's a TCOM group that I'm not even a part of. Yeah. No, um, I was talking so, about B. Layton, Billy, and Matt talk about you uh, behind your back and make predictions. Okay, so back to the topic. Mm-hmm. So... I so so you you've left that church now, and you've gone. Oh, it to, came to that. You, you've gone to multiple churches, and everywhere you go, you can't find anyone who believes the things that you believe. And we have people on the Trinity Commission or the Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion Group where they'll come on and they'll say, "Do you guys know of any denominations that believe this?" And it's like boom, 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 boom. And it and and what they're looking for is a place where they can. Affirm with completeness, 
Yeah. What that church Every affirms. Every single thing that they believe. It's going to be really rare uh, So uh, for a person who's like this. So what we want to get to here is, though, ultimately, what is your safeguard? Is it merely your own intellect and the Holy Spirit? What is your safeguard against believing something that is so out there that it is either that is either unorthodox and heretical yeah. or just... Okay, Weird. well, here's the thing. I, yeah, I hear, but see, I hear people like John Piper and I hear John MacArthur, and they get out there and they start just bragging about how awesome their 95 page doctor doctrines to, or maybe it's like 10 pages, but just how detailed their doctrinal statements are. Mm-hmm. Well, now it is so specific, but it's so overly specific that it excludes so many people, mm-hmm. right? I talk to Brian Roden all the time, one of our patrons and a friend of mine. But you know, uh, and I talk to him all the time because he's Assembly of God, yeah. and, and we, you know, I'm I was like talking to him last night. Yeah, and I'm like, do you know how many more of us would be Assembly of God or feel more welcome there if you got rid of this and this, you yeah. know, from the doctrinal statement? And you feel that way about Southern Baptists? Yeah, yeah. The thing, the thing is, but I mean, I, I think actually the AOG excludes more than the Southern Baptists because of the evidence of tongues thing yeah. as part as a cardinal doctrine of their statement of faith. But I'll say it like we say about everything: love our Assembly of God brothers and oh, sisters. Oh, they're awesome! I've well, preached, I mean, I've preached. In I your have churches. to love you guys. My, half my family's Assembly of God, but I've preached in AOG churches. Yeah, so no, I, I mean they're cool with outsiders, but I'm saying, yeah, yeah they're, they're. I mean, yeah. most of them don't act yeah. like that doctrinal position. It separates, yeah. but what it is 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 part of their doctrinal statement that's central to their denomination. So yeah. if you want to be ordained in their denomination, not if you want to go speak in the church, but if you want to be ordained, right. Uh, I don't even think you have to affirm that to be a member, but you might. Okay, so well, but that's so. But I'm just saying things like that. Maybe not keep, but I I want to take the doctrine of a denomination seriously. Yeah, well, so the Catholic Church has an answer to this. Catholic Church's answer is just you believe you believe this, <laughs> and there's disagreement among Catholics. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm not ignorant about that. But the but the point is, you, you have the authority of the church and the tradition of the church, and and so. You leave one Catholic church and go to another Catholic church, they might, the makeup of that church might be more where you're at, but basically we got this. Whereas for, they would say, for Protestants, you guys are just a mixed bag. You just follow your whims wherever you want to go. You have no one to hold you accountable for these beliefs. Yeah, no, see, that's, and they're overstating their Well, I'm saying this is the spectrum. That is some people, and you have two extremes. Mm-hmm. What's the middle ground, and how and how should you safeguard yourself, and what can happen in a realm? Number like this? one, I mean, here's the thing. This is why small groups are such a good idea. Sunday school groups. If it's just you and your Bible, and that's it, that is the extent of your theological self education. That's a train wreck. Yeah, but because now you're Pope, that you guy usually becomes pope. the su- small group leader, right? <laughs> and so he still is Pope. Yeah. You know? That's dangerous. You should always do this in community, and you should always do it with uh, underneath the the authority of some sort of church staff. But we see that this is changing the theological fabric, at yeah. least among the people we know. I mean, for example, uh, we uh, you know I told you having spoken on seminary campuses last year and this year, yeah. I've seen I've seen it looks like an increase in open theism. Mm-hmm. It looks like like I, I think this is so weird. When I was, you know, 15 years ago, uh, you could be a, an old earth creationist. Mm-hmm. That was fine. Like, whatever. You could be an old earth creationist. 
you couldn't be an open theist. Right. Now it's like the other way. It's like you can be an open theist, but you believe in an old earth, you heretic. You know, it's like, yeah, like it's changed. And, and, yeah, and open theists will come along. <laughs> They're the one. Wait a minute. Look, it, it means what it says. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> theists are the young. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. If I was pastor, mm-hmm. if I was pastor, my church's doctrinal statement would be Trinity's doctrinal statement. Affirm mm-hmm. those three creeds. Mm-hmm. Apostles Nicene, Athanasian Creed, and these points. But but so how does that help me? What's my safeguard? Is there not one? Is it just, no, follow your whim. Your safeguard is fellow believers and, and staying out of echo chambers. Yeah. And reading wide. Don't get all your theology. Don't just find theological resources that you agree with. Mm-hmm. Always check your 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 thoughts against. It just seems like that there's a balance here. Where on the yeah. one hand you've got I can I can outsource my uh, my my yeah, railings say, here yeah. to some organization or some confession, or I can I can just do whatever I please. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a balance there where no, you're in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as you learn and you're trying. Well, to let's do say it. Leighton Flowers is your guy. Mm-hmm. If Leighton Flowers is really your guy, then you're not just listening to Soteriology 101, because if you were listening to your guy, Leighton Flowers, he tells you, go read Calvinists. Click that link and go listen to him for yourself. And and also do other stuff besides Soteriology. Right. He says that, too. Yes. So, um, but... So you don't really listen to Leighton Flowers if all you do is listen to his perspective and you don't, you know, get, get a wider... Uh, you know. But we're seeing this thing change, and I don't know exactly. Um, now, so what's the benefit? So we've talked about the pros and cons. The cons are you can end up believing some weird stuff and start a cult. Yes. That's what can happen. And um, it, it, that's what does happen. And you're teaching it authoritatively to other people. Yes. So that can happen. But the benefit of theological education now, what's the benefit of theological education? Because some would say it takes that away, that it takes away the good of your self-study, where now you're not, you know, you hear it all the time, like you go to seminary, they're going to take the heart and soul out of your, out of your love for Jesus no. and make you believe a bunch some of seminaries will. liberal stuff. Yeah, some know. seminaries will, but not all. And, mm-hmm. and I would venture to get, most seminaries are not out to de-soul people. Right, right. Um, some seminaries are. Now they do have stuff they want you to And not all to. seminaries are created equal. I, I mean, there's Trinity, and then there's a huge chasm, and then there's other seminaries, and you can rank those however you wish. But, I mean, at the very top is, I mean, once again, Trinity College of the Bible. And by golly, they got the best podcast of any seminary as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, honestly, I think the benefit of theological no, education is yeah. you get guided education. Right, structured so, education. So, yeah, so you don't just, you, okay, you may still do your self-study. It's not like you can't do both. Right. You should still be doing your own self-study. But I will say this, woe to the seminarian who is still not under pastoral authority too. Well, sure, yeah. yeah. But you but you're you're studying what you want to study, but you're not exclusively studying apologetics or soteriology all the time because you got these other classes and you don't want to read that book. You do not there's nothing in you that wants to read that 700-page book by John Frame on the nature of God, okay? Yeah. But well, let's back up for a second. Okay. So self-study is good so long as you don't go nutty with it and end up in a ditch. But you wouldn't right. know that 
because you think, yeah, yeah, this sounds right. And yeah, yeah, this sounds right. So we don't even, that's why we say it's, regardless of whatever you're doing, you need to be under some sort of pastoral authority. If you don't agree with your pastor on big issues, maybe find another church or whatever. But just doing this by yourself, self-study, yay and amen for lay people wanting to be more interested. Oh, brother, if you start going off the deep end, which means it's important for everyone starting out to know what the basics are, Yeah. right? So we got to make sure we're, we're clear on that just for liability's sake. So this, you know... Right. Uh, just so so learn what learn what 101 is, like like soteriology 101 for example is here's salvation 101 learn christian theology 101 like in addition to reading the great books of the western world um uh, i also the first systematic theology book i read was wayne grudem's because yeah. again so like 100 percent people that yeah. go to seminary have to read wayne but Grudem. i didn't read it at seminary i read it because my dad who never went to seminary owned it yeah because my dad owned books and he taught us to read books. Yeah. And so that gave me a sense of this is what Christian... Oh, these are the big things. God, creation, Jesus, Holy Spirit, salvation, sin, um, you know, ecclesiology, uh, you know, the church, now, what I'll, what I'll eschatology, you, last thing. These are the big topics. Yeah. These are the big ticket items. So learn what we should think about these, and then... But see, that's the very thing, because what will happen is... I don't think people... I'm not saying learn Wayne Grudem. I'm saying learn the field. I think what happens to people is they end up changing views on something legitimately. Like they've studied it, they've looked at it from every angle, and it was really hard to change views because it's, it's a departure. You know, they've never done it. And then they do it. And then I know from experience, when you change views that first time on a, on a kind of a important issue... Um, and you're measured about it, what happens is you do develop this kind of like liberation feeling, and you also kind of develop this feeling of uh, superiority that I kind of was able to change views, and not many people are. And then that can become an addiction, like people that get tattoos, yeah. and they start changing views on, all. well, what else did I get wrong? And they start changing. Right. And I just think that the best thing to do is when you change views, change views slowly. And when you change views... Maybe don't talk about it too much for a while. Maybe, you, maybe let it simmer. Yeah. Well, okay, because here's the thing. I already am frustrated with this certain class of people on social media who are only podcast smart, who mm-hmm. are only, I watched, or apologists, for example, who I've only watched debates. So everything I know about apologetics, I've heard William Lane Craig say in 20. 20- different debates. Yeah. And so all I'm doing is repeating William Lane Craig. You yeah. Know. Uh, podcast smart people, even if you're listening to scholarly podcasts, podcasts with people with credential, academic credentials or whatever, if all you are is, you're all you're getting is talking points. Now, if you're listening to an academic podcast, you're getting better talking points than a layperson's as far as being informed. But you know what? You still don't know anything because there is a whole bunch of literature that leads to those talking points. But then those people create their own podcasts, and they set themselves up as an authority, and because what they're saying is novel and provocative, they get a following. And the the thing is, that's fine that you can do that. That's great. But the tradition and the pastoral authority and these kind of things, it's not that those are restrictions like you're not allowed to cross these lines of what your pastor thinks or what your institution thinks, but they do serve as guardrails for you to say, okay, I'm veering off into something kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe I need to think and a little more carefully about let's this. Let's be honest. 
if you look at the guardrails of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, they're more narrow than mm-hmm. Trinity's guardrails, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And Trinity's guardrails are probably nor, more narrow than Duke or Vanderbilt's mm-hmm. theological. They don't have guardrails, right. they have gutters. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a spectrum there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for anyone interested in any sort of ministry, even if you're not talking about full-time, any, even bivocational. I have a friend back home, his name is Tom Stevens, and I went to church with him. And he it was uh, in like a, the accounting profession like my wife, maybe even a CPA. He also had MDiv. And I know of uh, another guy who's kind of a similar situation. So I don't know what it is. Maybe accountants just like. Accountants yeah. like MDivs, engineers like apologetics degrees. There's something about it. Anyway, that's the way it is. Anyway, so, but his, not full-time ministry, but he he was interested in doing ministry, even though not as a full-time job, just as on the side. But he still went and got got the education. Theological education. If you're going to do any kind of ministry, even a internet ministry, (laughs) (laughs) we like... What we're doing now. No, but if this was all that we were doing, yeah, we should yeah. shoot ourselves and quit because you need to be out there preaching the gospel into right. people's faces. Yeah, I agree. Okay, but but, but even if you're going Unless to... Unless you're disabled or something. But even if you're going to do a internet ministry, mm-hmm. and, and that's all you're doing, please still go get an education because there is a reason why a theological education is important if you are going to be in active... Ministry. Right. Active ministry requires active thinking. It requires active minds. It requires being tested mm-hmm. by others, by peers. And by peers, we're not talking about just your friends or even your pastor. Mm-hmm. You're being tested by... People aren't scared to tell you that what you said was wrong. Stupid. Yeah. Or wrong. Wrong is fine. Uh, it's worse when what you said is not only wrong, but stupid. Yeah. And we do on occasion. And if, tell, your, and if your excuse is that you can't afford it, well, visit us at trinitysim.edu, absolutely. Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Also, check out our sister podcast, Soteriology 101 and the Bible Brodown and Steve Gregg. Who should um, also be recommending that you go to Trinity if you're going to be in ministry. Yeah. And if they're and they do, because I listen. Yeah. <laughs> Even Steve I Gregg can't get went on off to about yeah, Trinity. Trinity. Yeah. Not to talk about. All right. So um, enjoyed this podcast. Uh, this very brief like podcast. To, yeah, this is brief because <laughs> Our equipment's about to shut down. So we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. This is the last word. Incredulity. Incredulity is the state of being unable or unwilling to believe something. Have you ever been in a conversation with either a fellow Christian or a non-Christian or family member or, or just about any topic, and they say, I just can't believe somebody would think that, or I can't believe somebody disagrees with me. Well, the thing about incredulity is that it, unfortunately, is not all that impressive of a trait to have. See, incredulity, your incredulity, or someone else's incredulity, is not about how much you know about something. It's really about how little you know about something. If you can't possibly understand why people think differently than you, you simply don't know enough about them and what they 
have read or what they have heard or what they have processed in their life experience. Incredulity is actually very poor form. We see this all the time in theological conversations. I just can't believe they wouldn't believe X, Y, and Z that I believe. Again, it has nothing to do with you knowing so much, but rather you knowing so little. The goal in life is not to be an incredulous person. The goal in life is to be a well-informed person. So become well-informed, not so that you can be in disbelief that other people disagree with you, but so that you can understand why and better help them see your perspective because you can better understand their perspective. So, sorry, incredulous people. You're actually not the bastion of truth standing on solid ground. You are, unfortunately, the bastion of ignorance filling about as you sink in the sand. Stop being incredulous. Go read a book. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible Studies click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.